Hallelujah. Do you have a reason to praise the Lord tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord has been so good to us. Amen. Amen. I don't ever want to forget it. I don't ever want to forget it. Been so good to us. It's just so good to come together. I, I don't know. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what your everyday life is like. But it's hard to get this many people together agreeing on any one thing anywhere but right here. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm just thankful tonight for the the opportunity to be here with you, to enjoy the presence of the Lord. We were singing about his strength, and we know where our strength comes from. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people in this world that don't know that. And they rely on a lot of different things, and it gives false hope, and it doesn't deliver. But our Lord is good. And he gives us strength to go through this life. And I'm just glad to be in his presence tonight. Amen. Well, we are going to continue tonight in our little series that we have started here in this season leading up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And last week we began what we called Christ Our Passover, the first part. So if you just grab your Bible and go with me real quickly to... Exodus chapter 12. I won't read all of it tonight. I did read a good portion of it last week, but just to kind of give us a little bit of context of where we are, Exodus chapter 12, and this is the the giving of the Passover, and the Lord spake to Moses and told him, gave him instruction, and he gave these instructions to the children of Israel. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first year, the first month of the year unto you. And then he lays out over the next few verses the means by which they were to take the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Verse 6, you shall keep it unto the 14th day. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses where they shall eat it. Verse 8, thou shalt eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Skipping down to verse 11, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste it is the Lord's Passover for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment for I am the Lord Amen Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer just ask him to Bring our hearts and our minds together tonight to be receptive to the word of the Lord. His word is already anointed, but I want my mind and my heart to be anointed to receive tonight. Amen. Lord, we're grateful for the honor and the privilege of gathering with your people. 
lifting our voices in praise and worship to you, giving you honor and glory, and we're thankful for your presence and strength that we have felt. Lord, we ask right now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive and to hear the word of the Lord and what you would speak to us tonight. We ask that you would be with us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is probably a familiar passage, and if it's not, it may be by the time we finished up next week. And uh, maybe you'll always remember Exodus 12, because it is a very important passage in the history of the nation of, of Israel. And just a very quick recap, I promise not to belabor the point, but you will remember that the Lord called Abraham, and he miraculously gave to Abraham a son Isaac. That son Isaac had a son Jacob who went through his own series of troubles and difficulties because of his impatience and his lack of trust that the Lord would work what he had said. And there is a lesson there for all of us. The New Testament writer says, in your patience, possess ye your soul. And uh, for me, this is a struggle But I've had to come to the realization that impatience causes me a lot of trouble. And and impatience, impatience is a manifestation of selfishness and an expression of my understanding that it's not happening in my time and it's not happening my way. And we're fixing to fix this and we're going to get it right. And we don't because impatience is... A lack of waiting on the Lord. Jacob did not wait and he dealt himself a good bit of misery because of his impatience. Just as his grandfather Abraham had at the behest of Sarah. But again we won't belabor those points tonight. Jacob had 12 sons. And uh, among those sons you will remember there was jealousy at Joseph. And toward Joseph because Joseph was the favorite. And so there was a plot that was hatched and they were going to kill him. They thought better of it at the last minute and they sold him to a passing band of uh, nomads. And those took him down to Egypt and they actually sold Joseph into slavery. You can imagine the trauma and the culture shock going from being mom and daddy's pet and favorite to being a, a Hebrew in Egypt. No familiarity with the language, no familiarity with the culture. They didn't have uh, any help with learning language. You just, here you are, a young man, and you're thrust into a completely different environment. But God had a purpose. And through Joseph's life, um, you know the story of how the Pharaoh had dreams. Joseph came and told him what the dreams were and interpreted the dreams that there was a famine that was coming. And they relied on Joseph then, put him in charge. And then in the years of plenty, they stored up against the years of famine. And sure enough, just as Joseph had said, the famine came. But the famine also affected mom and dad and all the brothers back home. And they got to the point of starvation. And to make a long story somewhat short, they wound up down in Egypt with Joseph taking care of them. God had a plan and he had intended for them. Jacob was not sure about all of this and he prayed and he sought the Lord and 
the Lord appeared to Jacob in a vision and said, fear not to go down to Egypt. And he said very clearly, Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4, fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation. Sometimes life takes us down paths we're not expecting. Doesn't seem like it fits with what we're thinking and the way things are supposed to go. But the Lord told Jacob, when you go to Egypt, I'm going to make you a great nation there. In the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your trial and circumstance, I'll make you a great nation there. He said, I will go down with you into Egypt. When you have some concern about direction that you're going, if I know that the Lord is going with me, then I'm comfortable. I can go. It may not make sense. It may cause me pause. But if I know the Lord is going with me, I'm comforted. Jacob had that comfort. The Lord told him, I will go down with you into Egypt and I will assuredly bring you up again. Those are words that we like to hear. Amen. So sure enough, the Lord rescued them. But as time went on and they stayed there, there is this rather poignant verse in the beginning of Exodus chapter 1 around verse 8 that said, There arose a king that knew not Joseph. There was a Pharaoh that came up over Egypt that was not familiar with the story of Joseph and the way that Joseph had saved Egypt and he had spared them from the famine. And so he was concerned because the Lord was doing what he said he would do and he was making the Israelites to be a great nation. And they were growing and they were prospering and he said, if we're not careful, they're going to be more than we are. And when somebody comes to battle against us, they're going to rise up and they're going to join with our enemy and they're going to overtake us. And so this king said, we're going to start to demand that they work with rigor and that they, that they serve and they became slaves. And so over the course then of time, it was close to 400 years the situation grew worse and worse, and Israel groaned under that burden of bondage that they were in in Egypt. And the Lord heard them, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Israel groaned and sighed by reason of their bondage, and their cry came up before God. God heard them, and he sent Moses. And our reading tonight in Exodus 12 is the culmination of Moses going before Pharaoh and demanding that the people be let go. And you know there were a number of plagues. Pharaoh said he would not let them go, and the Lord began to send plagues one after the other. And after each one, he would give Pharaoh the opportunity to repent, and perhaps he would, but if he did, it was short-lived, and he would change his mind, and so there was another plague that was coming. And uh, finally, we get to Exodus chapter 12, and this is the grand finale, and The picture here is of a nation that has been in bondage for 400 years. They're under the heavy hand of a taskmaster, of a cruel taskmaster. And, and in fact, if, when we're reading through and hearing about all of the plagues, if you notice that when Moses requested that Pharaoh let them go, their response was not one of mercy, but one of cruelty. They turned up the heat. They asked them to work more. They told them they had to produce more. They had to be responsible for more of the activities associated with what they were doing. And, and so the, the burden became worse and worse. And there was this building tension until we get to this point in Acts chapter, or in Exodus rather, chapter 12. And so our reading tonight in verse 2 
the Lord says, or verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt. And he said, this will be the beginning of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. This is an interesting thing to me and one thing I would like to highlight. And I'll just say, as I have read through this a few times, it seems that every phrase in this story is just loaded with meaning. And it is a, because it is so central in the history and the life of the nation of Israel, every phrase is just loaded with meaning. But don't skip over these things. Because the Lord, the first thing, He says to Aaron and to Moses, and the writer notes, it was in the land of Egypt. These were the starting of the commandments toward all the feasts, and there would be others added to it when they came out. But it's striking to me that these commands were happening while they were in Egypt. When you're in a difficult situation, and you're crying out to the Lord... Whether it is when you, before you have come to know the Lord and you're crying out and sin is your taskmaster and sin is bearing down on you and you begin to cry out, the Lord can give you commands even while you're still in Egypt. The Lord can give instruction even when you're in the midst of the hardest difficulty of your life. And the Lord gave them these commands while they were in Egypt and he said, this shall be unto you the beginning of months. Now this is interesting to me because... They apparently had kind of a civil calendar and that they kept separately. And this was not the first month of the year. But it did become the first month of their sacred or religious calendar. This became the beginning. It seems like this is the Lord saying, hey, what is about to happen is very important. And this is going to be the beginning of months for you. This is... um, Not an uncommon thing in the ancient world. They would reorder calendars and they would establish calendars based on some great event, maybe on the beginning of the reign of a king or or some great victory, and they would reckon their months according to that, and they would reckon back. And you can imagine, you know, a king, that would be what a great stroke of the ego to have uh, the calendar begin at the time that my reign began or in the time of some great victory that I won. And the Lord tells them before he says anything else, he prefaces what he's about to tell them by saying, this will be the beginning of months for you. If they weren't paying attention, they came to attention pretty quickly because the Lord was saying, this is something that is really important. Now, Keep in mind, I just rehearsed for you very quickly several hundred years worth of history. They were not without history. They had their own history to rely back on, to look back on. But the Lord was saying, in the future, whenever you look back, you will mark the beginning to be at this point. Not when I spoke to Abraham and called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Not when I told Abraham to take... Isaac to Moriah, you're not going to reckon back to that time. Not when, not even when Isaac was born. What a great and important event that was, but that's not going to be the beginning of months for you. Not even when Jacob wrestled with the angel and had his, had his hip thrown out of joint. Not then, that's not the beginning of months. Not when uh, Joseph would, had revealed himself to his brethren 400 years 
earlier and became the salvation of the entire nation. He said, that's not the beginning of months. What I'm about to do is where you're going to reckon everything from. We all have our own history when we come to the Lord. But when you hear the voice of the Lord calling to you, and when you're struggling in a life of sin, and, and the Lord begins to call you out, you just know that all of the other past is ancient history. And all of those things that happened that seem to be milestones, whether for good or for bad in my life, those milestones are in the past. But what is happening right now becomes the beginning of months for me. This is where it really all starts. It all starts with redemption. It's a pretty, pretty amazing way to think about all of this because... Uh, No matter what has happened before, our real story starts when we're in the house of the Lord and when we come to the house of the Lord. I'm thankful for the Lord who would call out to us and say, look, this is going to be your beginning of months. This is this is where things are made brand new. Old things are passed away, Paul said, and all things are made new in the house of the Lord. Redemption is an interesting concept, and it is exactly what's happening here It is as though when we are redeemed, we are twice owned. What I mean by that is that when we were created, the Lord created us. He owned us, right? He made us and he owns us. But when we we are lost, when sin has its way, we're separated from him and we're lost. And what the Lord has done through Calvary and through the work of his spirit is he has repurchased us and he owns us again. Think of the nation of Israel. With Abraham, he just created them. He miraculously brought the nation of Israel from the loins of Abraham and Sarah. But he lost them in a measure of speaking because they went to Egypt and they became enslaved and they were no longer his people. They were they were owned by Pharaoh. And the Lord said, I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to get you back. And redemption is such an important event that he says, this is the point of reckoning. This is where you're going to reckon everything back to this point. And this time, we're really his when we've been redeemed. When we come to the Lord and the Lord makes us anew, it's one thing for us to be born the first time. But when we are born again, that is the beginning of everything that is new in our lives. That is the point that we reckon everything back to. You know, in our own calendar, we talk about ancient history is B.C., before Christ. Well, we all have our own B.C. We all have our own life that was before Christ. But... But when we begin to realize what God has accomplished and what he has wrought in our lives, then we, we know that really it was at that moment when he stepped into our lives and he miraculously did that thing for us. He brought us out of Egypt. It was at that point that life really began. There was an, there was an old writer um, several hundred years ago a mystic, uh, Juan de la Cruz. And uh, he wrote about the fact that there are in 
most people's lives, and certainly it is a pattern that is in Scripture, there are dark nights of the senses and dark nights of the soul. He said every man will go through two major crises in his life. The first he called the dark night of the senses. That's when you're separated from everything that is uh, that would give you comfort kind of in the physical world. And uh, you go through that valley and you make it through there and that just prepares you for the deeper valley when you go through the dark night of the soul where you're separated in a sense from all of the um, any spiritual comfort. So you think about, think about Abraham. He was called out from his family when he left Ur the Chaldees. He left everything that he had known, everything that was comfortable to him. He walked away from all of that. And there was a separation and there was uh, no doubt a loneliness. And he, but he made his way and he learned to rely on the Lord. And just when he think, thought maybe he had graduated and he received the miracle from the Lord, the Lord said, now take Isaac up to Moriah. Now I can't tell mama, I can't tell anybody. And this is more, this is not being separated from the things that would give me temporal comfort. I'm, I'm being... I'm being threatened, if you will, with the removal of things that would give me spiritual comfort. God has promised me this son. I have to, I have to walk away from him. And of course, you know the story of how Abraham navigated that. The same is true. You can see the pattern in, in other, uh, scriptural characters. Even in the Lord Jesus Christ, he was on this earth. He was the beginning of his ministry, 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, a dark night of the senses. But there was nothing compared to what happened in Gethsemane just before the cross. It was a dark night of the soul, a separation, a loneliness of spirit and loneliness of the soul. And it seems like our entrance when we come to, um, we come to this point in our lives of desperation, we recognize our own sinfulness and we recognize our own hopelessness, not just a not just a hopelessness from our circumstances that are around us. There may be some crisis that drives us to the Lord. But when we come to the Lord and we are in the presence of the Lord, there is an awareness of our own complete hopelessness. You think about Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. So he was serving in Uzziah's court. He was... Um, he loved King Uzziah and when Uzziah died, there was a grief that overtook him, but he said, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. He said his train filled the temple and he describes this glorious scene of, of angels flying around the throne and they would, some would cover their faces, some would cover their feet. They would, or they had six wings. They would cover their face with two, they'd cover their feet with two, they would fly with two, and they were crying, holy, 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 as they flew around the throne. And when Isaiah saw that vision, what was his response? Let me have some of that. Boy, I want to, I want to go. That's what I want. No, when Isaiah saw that vision, his response was, woe is me. I am lost. I am undone. Because when we come into the presence of the Lord, And we see God as he is, that's when we have the clearest picture of us as we are. We get a real revelation of just how hopeless we are. 
And redemption is our rescue from that dark night of the soul when we really come to the realization that we have, we have nothing left to offer. And we are completely undone. And we are completely at a loss. When we come to our own Passover, then we realize that it is our only rescue from this eternal hopelessness. But there's another sense in which this is the beginning of months for us. It's not just in our own personal lives that we reckon everything back and we say, that is where I really began to live. That's where I really came to know what it meant, what it means to be alive and to fulfill my purpose. There's another sense, and that is that this is really the foundational moment of our salvation, of everything that underpins our life is here in this moment of redemption and of God preparing us. You see, God was pouring out, and we read it in the scripture tonight, he was judging Egypt, but he protected the nation of Israel because of the blood that was on their doorpost. They were protected from his judgment. And in the same way, when we respond to the call of God and we come out from sin, we are being protected and preserved against his future judgment. And this is the beginning for us. What I mean by that is that no matter what else happens in life, we should be able to point back to that moment and say, I have that that I can stand on. When nothing else is certain, my salvation is certain. When nothing else makes sense, Calvary makes sense. When... When everything else seems to be chaotic and I can't understand and I can't make sense out of it, I can always go back to that point of beginning. Sister Mickey Mangan used to sing a song years and years ago, Long and Winding Road. And there is a line in that song. She says, I know I must be traveling right, for I remember passing Calvary. There is something about pointing back to that point of beginning to say, this is where it all started. And I may not know what I'm supposed to do today or tomorrow. I've got a big decision in front of me, but I know that I can go back to there and I can reckon everything back to that point of beginning. In in surveying, civil engineering, there is this idea when you do a land survey, there is a point of beginning. And... uh, Things are marked from landmarks differently now, but in the early days of the United States, there was a point of beginning in Ohio that was the beginning of surveys that took in most of the states of Ohio and Wisconsin and Indiana, and it all started from this one point of beginning, meaning there was that one single point and there were instructions, a recipe to navigate from that point. You go this many miles or feet or whatever in this direction, you turn this direction, you turn that direction. The instructions were from that point of beginning. And if you got to that point and you read them back, you navigated back to the point of beginning. That's the way this needs to be in our lives, that there is that foundational moment in our lives, that foundational event in the nation of Israel, and it's so in our lives that no matter what else happens, I know that this is sure and true, and it's immovable. It's immovable. And if I can go back to there, 
I can, I can derive everything else. I can figure everything else out from there if I can just get back to that point of beginning. So the Lord was saying to the nation of Israel, no matter what happens in your future, you can always come back here. Verses 26 and 27 of Exodus 12, the Lord specifically says, It shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean you by this service? Why do we do this every year? The Lord said, You tell them, Thus shall you say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. When he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed their heads and worship. Whenever anybody asks, what is the meaning of all of this? He said, point them back to what happened in Egypt. Point them back to the beginning when it all came. People wonder why we do what we do. We have a simple answer. It all happened when we came out of Egypt. It all happened when the Lord just yanked us and snatched us and brought us out of Egypt. Amen. It is the point of beginning. When you read down through the chapter, there's a number of other injunctions on how they were to eat and how they were to partake of all of this. And verse 11 caught my attention as well. Thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, this is interesting because they were killing the lamb in the evening. This is not exactly the way you would expect to partake of the meal at the end of the day. Lord, we're worn out. But notice there are three main instructions here. First of all, with your loins girded. Now, that's a good King James English phrase. And actually, interestingly enough, this is the first occurrence of that phrase in the New Test or in the King James Version is in this in this telling of this story. What does he mean? Really, it has to do with the cloak and the way that they dressed and to be girded. They were just talking about the way that they would be dressed, and it was a matter of tucking the cloak into their belt or getting things out of the way to allow them so that. So that whatever they were about to do, the garment was not getting in the way. It's the end of the day, Lord. I'm worn out. What do you mean, gird up the loins? What do you mean, tuck the garment in? What do you mean, get it out of the way because we're fixing to work? The Lord said, this is to be done with a sense of urgency. We would say in our own vernacular, we're going to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Right? Whether we wear long sleeves or not, we're going to roll up our sleeves. It's a figure of speech. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We know when you say, I'm rolling up my sleeves, either I'm getting to work or the kids are getting worried because it's fixing to come. Daddy's rolling up his sleeves. It's fixing to get serious. And this is what the Lord was telling them. Partake of this meal. Roll up your sleeves. Tuck your cloak in your belt. And he says, put your shoes on your feet. Lord, I was just getting ready to kick back and kick the shoes off a little bit. No, put your shoes on and put your staff in your hand. The staff was what they used 
to do their work. If they were shepherding, they would be using that as they walked to stabilize them as they walked and also to reach and to deal with the animals and all of this. And it sounds like the Lord is telling them when you eat dinner tonight, you need to be dressed for work. It doesn't make much sense. Why? It's evening time. It's dark. It's the ancient world. There aren't street lights and, and uh, there's not just light bulbs everywhere. Why am I putting on my shoes like we're fixing to go somewhere? Because you are going somewhere. And there was an urgency. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but when I read that verse, I get the picture of them eating, standing up. They have their cloak tucked in. They've got their shoes on their feet. They've got their staff in their hand. None of that is conducive to sitting down at the table for a nice, relaxing meal. And in fact, he said, you're going to eat of the bread unleavened. Don't give it time to rise. We don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. You just mix up the dough and throw it in the oven and you eat whatever comes out. It has the same number of calories. It's going to have the same nutritional benefit. It's just not going to taste as good. But you need the strength for what is to come. And you eat it in a hurry. You eat it in haste. You don't wait for it to rise. You don't wait for it to do everything that you would like to do. You don't eat. This is not Thanksgiving meal. This is not relaxing. This is a preparation for what is about to come. Now there's coming a day when this will all be celebration and we'll be doing this symbolically. But in Exodus 12, there was no symbolism. This was reality because the Lord knew when that death angel came... Pharaoh was going to be furious and he was going to throw them out. So he was telling them, take some food for your strength. And not only is it, there's a spiritual meaning to it, but there's a very physical meaning to it as well. You need to eat all of the lamb. You need to take care of it. You got to get it all taken care of because tonight is the night you're going out. You know, when we feel the Lord begin to tug on us and move us and pull on us, sometimes our tendency is, oh Lord, not now. I'll deal with it at a more convenient season. I'll call for you, Paul, at a more convenient time. Almost you've persuaded me. But I think there needs to be in us an urgency, a sensitivity to the urgency of the word of the Lord. When the spirit is moving, we have no guarantee that it will continue moving in the same way next week, next month, next year. We've got to move when the spirit moves. We have to be prepared to move. And what the Lord told Moses was tell the people to be sure that they are prepared. He didn't give them the instructions. He didn't tell them what was coming. He just said, be ready. You've just got to be ready. And it is that way with us. Whenever the Lord is at work in our lives, there is something that needs, there needs to be in us a sensitivity of the urgency of the hour. The sons of Issachar. The children of Issachar in the Old Testament, the testimony that they had was that they had an understanding of the times. And I think that needs to be us. I thought about that very familiar passage, and we've used it in the last couple of years out of Hebrews 10 about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We've used it to say, hey, we need to come together. We need each other. We need to be strengthening each other we need to be encouraging each other we need to be reaching for each other that is all true but the thing that struck me this week out of that verse was he said forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is the manner of some is and so much more as you see the day approaching 
There is a presumption there that we will have discernment. There is an expectation of the people of God that we will be able to discern when the day is coming. Do we see the day approaching? If we don't see the day approaching, it's high time we awake ourselves out of slumber. I don't know if you sense it or not, but there is a... I don't know how else to say it other than attention and there is... Um, there seems to be struggle and there seems to be attack and there, there's all sorts of things that are happening and they're happening in the physical world, but there's also spiritual attacks that are happening. And I know in, in Europe and all of that, we've got Russia and Ukraine and, and speculation about what would Putin do if he won in Ukraine? Where would he go next? And, and there's prophecies about, Gog and Magog coming down to Israel from the north. And I don't know when that's all going to happen, but I'll tell you, world forces are aligning to fulfill prophecy that's in the scripture. And it may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week, but it's happening. And we can, we can see it aligning itself. But it's not just in the physical. There are forces that are aligning themselves against the church. And they would love to find an inroad and a way to attack and and. You know the way that the story is told in the, in the end times that the whole world would be against the nation of Israel and the only way that they would survive would be that the Lord himself would intervene on behalf of Israel. And I'll tell you, there are forces that are allied against the church that can be overwhelming. The church is not in jeopardy because she is the apple of his eye. And, and he will intervene. He will protect his bride. But if you think for one minute that your strength, we were singing about his, our strength, he's the source of our supply. We better get that deep in our spirit because my strength is not sufficient for the battle that's at hand. My strength is not sufficient to do what needs to be done in the days in which I live. But I will tell you this, there is an urgency. And if we will prepare ourselves, we, we, gird up our loins we tuck that cloak in the belt we make sure that our feet are shod with sandals and the shoes we've got our staff in our hand we are ready to obey the commandment of the lord and this was the way that the lord commanded israel when i decide to move you better be ready do you remember there is a a parable in the New Testament where the Lord tells the story of the unjust judge. And he says, this woman would go before this unjust judge. She was a widow. She had no power. She had no way to force him to act on her behalf. She didn't have money. She had no social standing. She had no way to exert any peer pressure in that culture. She would go to him and she asked him, avenge me of mine adversary. And she went and she went and she went. And the judge finally says, I will give her what she has asked, lest by her continual coming she weary me. (laughs) I have used that verse a few times. (laughs) Having been wearied by continual coming. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the Lord said, the wisdom in that is, That though he bear long with them, talking about the Lord, he will avenge them, talking about his elect. He would avenge them. Though he suffer long with them, he will avenge them quickly. Israel was in Egypt for 400 years. 
And the Lord heard their groaning and he heard their sighs and he started working his plan. And he had all of the, he had all of the plagues and all of these things. But when it happened, it was in one night, he brought them out. When the 400 years was up, he brought them out in one night. And the key was that they were sensitive to the urgency of the moment. And they said they were responsive to the instruction to be prepared to move when the Lord said move. If you're... If you don't know the Lord, if you are still in Egypt, so to speak, and you feel the Lord drawing you, it's not a casual thing. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. We need to be sensitive, all of us, in all of our spirits to be responsive to the drawing of the presence of the Lord and not be procrastinators, spiritual procrastinators, putting it off, assuming arrogantly that we'll have another opportunity, that God would would continue to call and give us another chance. The beauty of this to me, and I hope I'm not taking too much license here, but in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes and tells us how we are to be arrayed to live as believers to live the Christian life. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. And he said, having your loins girt about with truth. There's an important protection that comes to us. He's talking about a belt or a girdle, that thing that they were going to tuck the cloak into. Paul says that thing needs to be fashioned and made out of truth that needs to withstand that needs to be able to take all the fiery darts of the wicked it needs to be able to stand in the evil day and he said having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace there's something about the good news of jesus that prepares us and it enables us to walk and it enables us to move forward but the beautiful thing to me is that that staff that was in their hand it's a little different Once we've received the Spirit and once we're walking with the Lord, we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. That staff was in their hand. He said, most importantly, lastly, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's very important for us in this day when we hear all of the voices in the world that we be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And that we are prepared to live according to the will of God. That we're responsive and we're prepared to respond to his instruction. And the way that we do that is we put on the whole armor of God. And we protect ourselves with truth and with the good news of the gospel and the word of the Lord. Why don't you stand with me tonight? The text was Passover. The original Passover. The ancient Passover. But I think it has very relevant present day application in our lives. When the Lord begins to work in us, it is the point at which we will reckon everything from that point. And when we are prepared to respond to his instruction, he has equipped us with everything that we will need. It doesn't make sense. It did not make sense to them. How are we going to overcome the Egyptian army? But they did not try to figure all of that out. They just tucked the cloak in the belt. They made sure their shoes were on. They had their staves in their hands. And they were ready to follow the instruction of the Lord. 
Sometimes our biggest issue is we're trying too hard to figure out how it's all going to happen and how it's all going to work when the Lord just says, put on the whole armor and just be ready when that time comes. Amen? We go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask Him to apply these words to our heart. Lord, we're so grateful tonight that You have preserved Your Word for us. We thank You, Lord, for Your great work that You did in the nation of Israel. But Lord, even more than that, I'm thankful for the work that You did in my life. For the way that you called me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. I'm thankful, Lord, for the ways in which you have led us and that you have provided for us. And you have given us miraculous victory, Lord. And we look back to those things and we gain strength from them. And we glean from those things. Lord, I ask that you would steal us tonight against the battles that may be to come. We don't know difficulties that will face us, but our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is not in our own strength, but Lord, our trust and our hope is in you. Prepare our hearts, prepare our lives, that we would be able to follow instruction that you would give and that your spirit would work through us. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.